0: It's 7:12. You're listening to the evening edition with Sharmila. Next up, should tech companies be held responsible for keeping young people safe online? We're talking about this because in California, two parents and state lawmakers have proposed that laws should be introduced that require tech companies to provide online protections for children. Um, and this essentially will encompass um, let's see. This essentially will encompass two bills, uh, one that will allow for parents to sue Social media platforms, if their children become addicted, as well as to seek a penalty of $25,000 per violation, in addition to other punitive damages. Um, And a second bill that would create an age appropriate design code for websites or apps um, that would be more likely to be accessed by children. Um, And so this would also prohibit companies from using children's online data or profiling them. Um, And all of this leads back to, I suppose, putting the responsibility for protecting children online in the hand of tech companies. So we're going to try and understand what this means and whether this is the way to go. Let us know what you think. Should tech companies be held responsible for the safety of children online? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now to help unpack all this is Dr. Rachel Gong, Deputy Director of Research at Kazana Research Institute. Rachel, good to have you with us. Now. Lawmakers in California are pushing for bills to hold social media companies accountable for content that harms children. What can you tell us about the efforts that are happening in this area and those specific bills in question?
1: I mean, I think that the bills that you're talking about are the Social Media Platform Duty to Children Act and the California Age-Appropriate Design Code Act. So they don't deal specifically with content, but they deal with um, children's privacy and protection. So let me I mean, kind of recap a little bit. Um, The the first one, the Social Media Platform Duty to Children Act, uh, what it basically says is that if a platform has some features, right, like like recommendation algorithms um, or or whatever designs it uses, uh, such as dark patterns that make it difficult for kids to understand what they are agreeing to, uh, that cause kids to become addicted to the platform, then what this law does is it allows for people to sue the platform. And then the second act, which is the Design Code Act, Uh, What it says is that if your company, if you're a platform and you create something that uh, you you should know from market research and it's quite clear that a child is likely to use, then your company has to comply with a set of specified requirements that uh, largely have to deal with offering children uh, the best possible privacy and data protections. So, for example, they say that they won't collect uh, geolocation data on children without their knowledge. This doesn't mean that they won't collect at all. It just means that by default, they have to try and protect children. So both these laws are trying to protect children, but they're doing two very different things. The first law is trying to manage behavior to prevent addiction. And the second law is trying to manage the data generated by behavior. So neither of them are specifically about monitoring content per se.
0: So, there are two broad areas to explore here, then. Um, let's start with the law that allows parents to sue social media platforms if their children become addicted. How do you see this working?
1: To, to be blunt, right, I'm not really sure how effective a deterrent this is going to be for the platforms. Because, I mean, the US, right, is admittedly a very litigious society. So, maybe they sort of react and think, okay, this will be quite an effective measure that like will just allow parents the right to sue. But in practice, practically speaking, unless you are very rich and very educated with a lot of resources and time, and then, you know, maybe something traumatic happened to your child because of their addiction to social media, most individual parents, I would be very surprised to see them actually take advantage of the suit. You almost need like some sort of um, activist figure, kind of like an Erin Brockovich kind of figure to kickstart a class action suit. Right. Against social media companies. But even if that happens, the big tech platforms will have a lot of legal resources at their disposal and they'll probably have done the cost benefit analysis to see whether the risk of continuing with what they're doing and their algorithms are worth the risk of a lawsuit. So and, and then the plus, again, you've got this problem now of trying to define addiction and whether it's really the fault of the platform or it's just a child got addicted to it and whether you can attribute responsibility. So I'm not sure how effective this will be like, to manage um, whether or not children are being addic- uh, getting more addicted to the Internet.
0: And the second area, of course, is making it a requirement for tech firms to focus on the safety of children when designing or creating online products. What could the safety and child-focused design look like?
1: What the law intends by design is largely around privacy and data protection. So, uh, for example, if the product they are providing is going to be accessed by children is a Uh, something that they, again, should know by doing their market research, or it's clear that they're, in fact, marketing this product product to children, then the product must be designed in such a way that it, by default, protects children's privacy. So some of the things that they are trying to do are to not profile child users for targeted ads. Um, And again, they're saying that you can't do this by default. It doesn't mean that you can't if the child or the parent agrees to it, just that you can't do it by default that you can't use a child's personal data for anything besides the purpose of uh, providing better service, and that you shouldn't use dark patterns to trick children into sharing more personal data. And, you know, frankly, I'm in favour of all these privacy protections, and I would actually have liked to see this Act go further, not just to protect, um, you know, the children's privacy rights, but adults as well.
0: So there have been many headlines on how social media content and the algorithm may be contributing to harmful behaviours. Uh, there was a leaked study that found 17% of girls say using Instagram makes their eating disorders worse. 13.5% of girls say it made their suicidal thoughts worse. In your opinion, what are the responsibilities that social media companies have or should have towards their users, particularly with their younger demographic?
1: You know, this is a really interesting and I think complicated question um, Because part of the the problem uh, is, of course, that the recommended algorithms are making the situation worse because they're recommending more and more content uh, that makes people feel worse about themselves. And the fact that uh, algorithms keep doing this and platforms encourage this because they want to encourage more engagement, uh, this is, of course, quite a big issue and quite a serious issue that needs to be addressed. But I do think that this kind of social technical issue is not entirely technological. Part of it is driven by social norms and social expectations. And there's already a lot of social pressure on on adolescents and on young women in particular, uh, about how they should look. And while the algorithms algorithms do amplify these um, norms and expectations, uh, I don't think they are solely to blame for how bad things can get on social media platforms. So if the question is, is it fair to say, hey, Uh, Social media companies need to fix their platform designs and algorithms and they need to do more monitoring and and filtering and so on. Yes, I think that's fair. But I don't think it's fair to say, you know, all the burden should be on platforms and that's going to solve the problem. Because these, you know, social technical problems do need social solutions. And I think overemphasizing the technology and not giving enough attention to how we should really be, um, you know, re-educating or uh, adjusting Some of the more, you know, outdated or unfair, unreasonable social expectations of women, um, that's not going to be enough. I think we need to deal with some of those things as well. And if the social norms are able to shift towards, um, you know, more egalitarian, more of let's respect women, then the uh, recommendation algorithms could actually be helping to push that message.
0: So have we seen companies adjust their design or algorithms in response to these headlines at all?
1: I think this is um, happening too quickly, and it's still too um, nebulous for companies to have changed things as a response to what the laws are uh, are the proposed laws. But I think there have been some changes that have happened um, independent of these, but around similar issues. So the, the I think the most often cited one would be YouTube in 2019, because a very similar situation happened when um, people complained to the U.S. Uh, Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. And they said that YouTube channels were collecting personal data of children so that they could target ads at them. And that was a violation of the children's right to privacy. And so in the end, they found that YouTube was responsible and they had to pay, I think, $170 million or something like that to settle the case. Yeah. So after that, they tried, YouTube tried to develop this system that said, OK, so um, if you are under the age of 18, then we won't collect data without parental consent. Um, And all the channels that target children must say "We, we are a channel that targets children so that then targeted ads won't be put on those channels. Now, I don't know, again, how effective that actually was at addressing the problem, but it was certainly something that YouTube tried to do. And they also tried to start tweaking their algorithm to be more family friendly in general so that it wasn't as targeted. But in that situation, people did complain that oh, now we're seeing all these children's videos and cartoons and nursery rhymes and we don't know why. So in that case, they had to keep tweaking the algorithm to figure out um, what would actually work.
0: What kind of data do we have on children and teenagers in Malaysia and and whether they're negatively affected by content on the internet?
1: Uh, We don't have systematic data on the subject. There are a number of academic studies, uh, largely consisting of, of researchers who sort of survey a few hundred people, usually students, And um, they come to the conclusion that, you know, between 58 to 70 percent of their respondents have some sort of Internet addiction, although they all define Internet addiction slightly differently. Um, The largest scale study we have in Malaysia is probably the one that um, Cybersecurity Malaysia did with the uh, Ministry of Education last year. It's called the Cybersecurity uh, Awareness Benchmark Study. Um, and, and some of the report's conclusions that did get reported in the news were things like signs of internet addiction include sleeping late or getting angry when you're not allowed to use smartphones. So I'm not entirely sure on, on the methods and data because I actually haven't seen the full report. Um, ironically, it's actually quite hard to find this report online. But, you know, I do think it's quite clear we have problems with, with cyberbullying um, and shaming online. I mean, the case of, for example, Ayn Husniza, um, has been, you know, big in the media and is a, is a case of, you know, how something that went online and she was just calling out um, her teacher for, for a joke, a rape joke in school. And, you know, after her video was posted on TikTok, she received a lot of attention, both negative and positive. And that negative te- attention that she received is not something that the laws that we've been talking about would protect against.
0: And if we go back to those California laws, uh, the bills, if they are passed, how will this affect the internet landscape?
1: I'm not sure that much will change um, in terms of that, um, you know, Duty to Children Act, the one that allows the lawsuits. Um, Because also the other factor, I think, is that um, all the lawsuits have to be brought in California. So globally, I'm not sure that that's really going to affect too many things. Um, It's more likely that the Design Code Act will kind of shift the way platforms build in policy options, um, although of course the restrictions technically only apply to children, so you'd have to say that I as a user am under 18, and then probably you have limited functionality anyway. Um, but I think really that the key thing about um, these acts are when it comes to protecting children, neither of these laws are um, really dealing with content, you know, that we were just talking about I in the case of um, the cyberbullying that she ex- experienced, and those are social issues. So these laws won't protect people from those kinds of abuse and harassment. And a big part of the solution that I think needs to happen um, is really changing our norms and attitudes and how we behave online.
0: And the pushback from companies and industry advocates has focused on how this infringes on freedom of speech and opens up tech companies to lawsuits. What's your take on this?
1: yeah yeah um I may be wrong, but I really do think that the risk of these kinds of law individual lawsuits anyway is going to be quite low because of how much um, time and effort that they take uh, and how difficult it is to be uh, to prove their case. So um, I don't think that that's anything that you know um, platforms really have to worry about, but of course they're using that to to push back against the laws.
0: And do you see the effects of this trickling down to the way tech companies provide services to other countries like Malaysia?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the Design Code Act, I mean, it'll be similar to, for example, the GDPR um, sort of regulations, where if it's implemented and enforced, it will be easier for a platform to just set and apply the same standards globally than for them to switch standards depending on what location the users are coming from. But as we have seen from the GDPR, all you get really in terms of improved privacy is a little notification pops up on your screen that most people will click away anyway. So, you know, what real-world impact this is going to have on people's privacy um, is not entirely clear at the moment. Even with the GDPR, it's not entirely clear how much additional privacy protection that has had. But I think it's a step in the right direction of at least educating people that this is something they do need to consider, and then educating platforms that this is something they need to design for as well.
0: Do you see Malaysia enacting similar laws to push for greater protection of young people? Is there a need for something like that?
1: Oh, I think yeah, for sure, there's a need. Um, but you know, we haven't even passed a law against child marriage, so I'm not sure um, really how high a priority online child safety is for Malaysian lawmakers at the moment. But I do believe actually, I um, I think there's an anti cyberbullying law that's in the works. So perhaps um, that is you know there are other things that are in the works as well. My concern is that without proper buy-in and without proper uh, engagement with well-informed stakeholders, uh, you know, I'm talking here about lawyers and human rights activists, digital rights activists, uh, public interest technologies, and, you know, even even getting some of the the teenagers who have gone through cyberbullying and hearing what their experience is, without that sort of engagement, rushing into creating these laws could result in a law that does more harm than good or could be used. Um, in ways that the creators didn't expect.
0: So presently, what are some of the laws that govern social media content in Malaysia? Are they specific in detailing the protection that minors should be accorded?
1: To the best of my knowledge, the most commonly used law is um, Section 233 of the Communications and Multimedia Act. Um, and, and that is a very broad law that basically says, uh, you know, if, if you use any network, if you go online and you knowingly post anything that is untrue or offensive or indecent um, with the intent of of harassing someone or upsetting someone, then that's a crime. Um, you know, and people you know feel free to interpret that at, at will. And some people will use it for very specific purposes, and some will correctly you know use it to address cyberbullying. And that's the law that's been cited in some cyberbullying cases in the past. Uh, but it was decided that that wasn't quite good enough, which is why I think they're working on this anti cyberbullying law right now. Um, but, you know, as you can see, if technically this law already exists, or something like it exists, and there haven't been very many lawsuits, uh, you can see why I'm not too worried that, you know, an increase in lawsuits is the danger that we're looking at here.
0: Rachel, thanks for speaking with us. That was Dr. Rachel Gong, Deputy Director of Research at Kazana Research Institute, weighing in on um, a proposed set of laws in California that, will, that aims to hold tech companies responsible for the safety of children online. Um, and so talking about what that might mean when it comes to the uh, online space, uh, do keep sending your thoughts our way. You can call us, WhatsApp us, tweet us. So keep it here on the evening edition, BFM 89.9.
1: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my, BFM 89.9, The Business Station.